Well, for those of you who are visiting with us, uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series going through our mission statement, which is, by God's grace, uh, we glorify Him, proclaim the gospel, grow in our faith, and serve one another. And this is the fourth of our sermons on this series uh, about growing in our faith. And to uh, help us uh, with that, we'll be in Titus chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 4. Titus can be found on page number 1,857 of the Pew Bibles. And again, we will be in the introduction, uh, which is verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1 of the book of Titus. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word so to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior." To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, by your spirit, open our hearts to believe the truths that are presented here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my parents, uh, had uh, both of them, had very interesting faith journeys. My uh, father was an adult convert who had only been a Christian for a year or so uh, when he and my mom got married. My mom grew up traveling from Washington to Okinawa back to California because her father was in the Air Force. And uh, she grew up in a fundamentalist Christian home where, uh, needless to say, there was contradictions in, in what was presented to her. And it was very it would have been difficult for anybody uh, growing up in that home to, uh, to really understand what it meant to be a Christian. And so in many ways, my parents were both baby Christians when they got married. And in spite of all that, they were able to communicate to me as a child. Uh, I was five years old when I, I remember um, understanding that Jesus was God and that he came, and he came and lived a perfect life and died for sinners. And if I believed in that, then I would have eternal life. And at five years old, I... I believed that. Then the rest of my childhood was uh, characterized by spotty church attendance. Uh, My parents actually separated twice for about a year and a half each time uh, as I was growing up. And I I went to 14 different schools uh, growing up. And I remember once when I was a freshman in high school, I was at a youth group in Oakdale. And I had the opportunity to, uh, to take a purity ring. And for those of you not familiar with what a purity ring is... Uh, in evangelicalism in the 90s, uh, one of the ways that the um, broader evangelical church was uh, trying to help uh, young people commit to remaining sexually pure until they got married was by offering them uh, a purity ring, which would serve as a reminder of that commitment. Well, I didn't want one because I had no intention of, of following what that purity ring was meant to represent. Um, It wasn't long after that when I told my dad that I didn't even want to go to church anymore or youth group, and my mom never went to church. 
uh, and so my dad didn't really have a leg to stand on, um, and so he didn't, didn't make me anymore after that. And for the next 10 years of my life, I sunk into a very worldly life. I never joined a church. I didn't read the Bible except for one random three-month period of time, uh, which was actually very significant in my life, that, that three months. Uh, I made impulsive decisions. I was not wise with my time or my resources. I had very little self-control. I had no direction in my life. I uh, had very little money, and what money I did have, I spent uh, trying to be the life of the party. And so from the outside looking in, uh, no one would have thought that I was a Christian. But I did pray. Um, I actually talked to God a lot. I remember, um, I remember feeling really guilty about the way I was living my life and crying out to God uh, to change me and to help me. I knew the things that I was doing weren't just bad. I knew they were sinful. Um, I knew God was displeased with me. But all of my prayers for help uh, seemed to go unanswered. And so there were long stretches in time where I, I didn't even talk to God at all. Um, and then there were s- certain stretches where I didn't even feel guilty or conflicted with how I was living my life. Uh, I was ruled by my desires, but I had no idea. I had no idea how to live life differently. And I also didn't know why it even mattered for me to make different choices. The way I reasoned it at the time was, well, I've prayed the prayer. I I know that Jesus died for my sins, so why does it even matter uh, for me to live a different life? I knew, or at least I thought I knew, that I was going to heaven when I died. And that's all I thought really mattered. But when I was 24 years old, God moved in a powerful way in my life. And he brought me into a church. And I began to grow in my faith. And I began to learn how to obey all that Jesus commanded. So here's the question for this morning. Did I become a Christian when I was 24? Or had I been a Christian the entire time? Well, from the time I was 24 until actually about three or four years ago, I see Michaela out here. She probably heard me say as a youth pastor in Escalon that I became a Christian when I was 24. But about three or four years ago, I realized something. I realized I'd been a Christian the entire time. There's no way I thought that I could be a Christian given the way I was living my life. But I'm convinced now uh, that I was. And that I just needed to grow in my faith. And so this morning, we're going to see, first, what faith is. The next thing we're going to learn is how faith is obtained. And finally, we're going to learn how we grow in our faith. So first, what is faith? Well, the worldly Oprah Winfrey definition of faith is trusting in something you can't prove just because it's comforting or because it works for you. Right? That's the worldly definition of faith. The world believes all faith is a blind leap of faith, but in Christianity, faith is something very different. Uh, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, 
Uh, he and Titus had apparently planted this church in Crete several years before. Uh, Paul either left Titus there or sent him at a later time to go and to pastor that church and to, and to build them up. And Paul's writing this letter because uh, there was false teachers in Titus, uh, false teachers in Crete. And uh, there's people in the church who, who didn't believe that faith was uh, what Paul and, Tim, or, and Titus had been teaching them, them that it was. And so Paul is writing to Tim, uh, Titus to help him out with that. And like our culture today, uh, the false teachers had a different idea about what faith is. So listen to how Paul defines faith. He introduces himself first. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So the Christian life is growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge of the truth, as he says in verse 1, and that is what leads to godliness. And this life is lived, according to Paul, in the hope of eternal life. And that's our definition of faith right there. Faith is the hope of eternal life based on the knowledge of the truth, which is based on the promises of God who does not lie. Okay? In Christianity, faith is not hoping in something that we wish were true. Faith is something that we know is true, even though we can't see it. And here's the definition from the book of Hebrews, which just dovetails with our definition from Titus. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Well, what do we hope for? We hope for eternal life, because God, who does not lie, has promised us. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, we have confidence and assurance because God, who doesn't lie, has promised us. We have it on good evidence that eternal life is ours. I've never seen the city of London, but I have it on good evidence that London exists. I've seen it in movies, I've read about it in history books, I've talked to people who've been there. The evidence that London, England is a real city is overwhelming to me. But I've never seen it. I've never been there. I also have faith that my birthday is May 2nd. I do not recall being born that day. But I trust my parents when they told me that I was born that day. And then when I got my driver's license when I was 16 and saw my birth certificate for the first time, my confidence grew, I'll admit. But I was still pretty convinced that I was born on May 2nd. See, Christian faith is knowing something is true based on the evidence even though we can't see it. And the evidence for our faith is so strong that we can have real confidence and assurance about it. So let me give you an example of worldly faith. Imagine an ancient warrior, and he believes, truly, that if he takes his shield and his spear and his sword and he covers them in the ashes of his dead ancestors, that he cannot lose in battle. He, he really believes that. But there's no knowledge that that's true. It's a wish. But it works. It works. This warrior is he's comforted by it. He has less anxiety going into battle because he has this confidence 
that, that he can't lose because his dead ancestors are somehow with him. We could even say it works because it makes him more brave in battle. He's not afraid or timid because he really does believe he cannot lose. This is why worldly faith works. But there is zero evidence that the ashes of a dead ancestor on your sword will help you in battle. Now let me give you an example of Christian faith. Imagine an eight-year-old boy. He is uh, waiting for his mom to come pick him up after school. And his mom's a little bit late. But he knows she's coming. Why? He knows her. He knows she loves him. She told him that she would pick him up. And she always does what she says she'll do. She's always been faithful. He's picked her up, or she's picked him up every day since he was in kindergarten. Why would she not pick him up today? The evidence is overwhelming that his mom is going to come and pick him up, even though she's not there yet, and even though he doesn't see her. This is why Paul is writing to Timoth- or to Titus, I keep calling him Timothy. He's writing to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Because Christian faith and knowledge go hand in hand. That eight-year-old boy waiting for his mom to pick him up after school has faith that she's coming because he knows his mom and she promised she would come. And in the same way, we have faith that we will receive eternal life because God, who does not lie, has promised that he will give it to us. And faith is resting in his promises. Now, it's true that eight-year-old boy, his mom might not come. She might have gotten into a car accident. Uh, Something might have come up, and so she asked someone else to go pick up the boy, and, and that person forgot. But God cannot lie, and he cannot fail. So our faith is based on even better promises. Listen to how the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines faith. It says, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer is, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. So it's a, it's a gift, right? That's what grace is. It's this, it's this unmerited favor that saves us. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive, right? And so re- receiving something is knowing it and accepting it is true, right? We receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. And this gift of saving grace, right, that's what enables us to receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation. Notice, faith itself doesn't save us. It is the the conduit, it's the channel that allows us to receive Jesus Christ. And he is the one who saves us. So, if faith is the hope of eternal life based on the promises of God who cannot lie, or to use the language from the catechism, if it's receiving and resting on God, Christ alone for salvation, how does someone get faith in the first place? And that takes us to our second point, how faith is obtained. Real simply, faith is obtained as a gift of God's grace when we hear and understand the message of the gospel. I want to say that again. It's on the screen. Faith is obtained as a gift of God's grace 
when we hear and understand the message of the gospel. So, so far in our passage, uh, we've defined faith as the hope of eternal life that we have because of the promises of God who cannot lie, right? It's this, it's this thing that allows us to receive and rest on Christ alone for salvation. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 3, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So God commands Paul to preach the good news about the hope of eternal life that we have because of the promises of God who cannot lie. And in preaching that message, the hope of eternal life is brought to light in our hearts. Now, wait a minute, you say. That sounds very circular. So faith is the hope of eternal life based on the promises of God who cannot lie. And the way we obtain faith is by hearing someone preach the promises. How is that possible? That's like, that's like somebody trying to assure me that London exists by saying, trust me, I know, it exists. You telling me that London exists cannot possibly be the evidence that I have that London exists, right? Well, actually it can if you're the kind of being who cannot lie. Think about it. The, the way I knew my birthday was May 2nd was because my parents told me. I, I believed the message by hearing the message. You see, God gives us the gift of faith by first giving us a heart that can recognize His voice. God gives us the gift of faith by giving us a heart that can perceive that the God who made the world and has all power and authority and to whom we all must give an account for our lives, that he is the one promising us eternal life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we hear that message through the word about Christ, God creates faith inside us in the exact same way he created the world, out of nothing. God spoke, and the world came into existence. And then God, through one of his servants, speaks the message of the gospel, and our faith comes into existence. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, referring back to the creation event, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is because, as Paul said in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The message is what makes us believe the message. Later in Romans, Paul will say this. He says, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So when we hear the message, faith comes. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Or another way to say it is the message is heard through the message. When someone like Paul preaches this message, who's been commanded by God to preach it and entrusted by God with it, God gives the gift of faith. Paul tells the Philippians, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, to believe in him. In Ephesians, Paul says this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
So faith is a gift that God grants to us on behalf of Christ, and he does this through preaching, right? Which takes us back to the point I made from the beginning. Faith is obtained as a gift of God's grace when we hear and understand the message of the gospel. Okay, so we know what faith is. We know how we get it in the first place. But the question we've all been dying to find out is how do we grow in our faith, which takes us to our final point this morning. So if faith is receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation, and we obtain faith as a gift from God by hearing someone preach the word about Christ, then growing in faith is the ability to rest and receive more. Right? We rest more on Christ for salvation, and we grow in our faith by giving up the project of finding other ways of salvation. Growing in our faith, then, is also a gift from God that comes by hearing someone preach the word about Christ. Just like we learn to trust someone more when we get to know them more, we learn to trust God more as we get to know Him more. Now, <clears throat> there are a million different theories in the evangelical marketplace about how we grow in our faith. Some would say we need to give ourselves to spiritual disciplines, right? Bible reading, prayer, etc. Um, others would say that we need to meet with God in an experiential way through meditation or through an ecstatic worship experience. Some suggest the best way to grow in our faith is by trying to meet God inside our hearts through a mystical encounter with Him in our spirit. They would suggest uh, fasting and silence and solitude in order to create that experience. Uh, there's another group of people who would say that we grow by understanding our own selves and our own personality more. Who we are and why we do the things that we do through personality tests or therapy to explore our past hurts and traumas. Now, I think there's more wisdom and benefit to some of these suggestions than others, and I'm not going to argue that people have found them helpful in one way or another, and if you want to know my opinion about these things, I'd be happy to tell you on the side some other time. But there's one thing that every one of these suggestions has in common. This is all something that you have to do. It's not receiving and resting and hearing. Spiritual disciplines, as we call them, are things that faith does. And as Christians, we have to always keep separate what faith is from what faith does. We have to always separate that. Faith is receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation. And faith comes from hearing the word about Christ. Therefore, growing in faith is receiving and resting on Christ more and more. And growing in faith comes from hearing the gospel and growing in our knowledge of the truth. This is how Paul opens the letter again. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that leads to godliness. Do you see that? Paul is writing to further their faith. He's writing so they will grow in their ability to receive all of Christ and his benefits and to rest in what Christ has done for them. 
And they do that by growing in their knowledge of the truth, which means understanding the depth and the breadth of who Christ is and all that he's done to save sinners. And that is what leads to godliness. Furthering our faith and gaining more knowledge of the truth leads to godliness because faith is not godliness and godliness is not faith. Godliness is what faith does. Now, godliness can lead to more faith. As we pray and read and study and meditate on the Bible, God can and does use that to grow our faith. As we obey him and experience his faithfulness in our lives, that grows our faith as well. But God has promised to give us faith through simply hearing the word about Christ. And he invites his people to just come and hear and receive his gifts. This is why reformed tradition makes a distinction between the means of grace and the means of discipleship. The means of discipleship are putting off sin and putting on righteousness, abstaining from sinful desires and striving to live such good lives in front of unbelievers that they glorify God. All of that is what disciples of Christ do. The means of discipleship are also Bible reading, Bible study, Bible memory, meditating on the word of God, as well as personal, private prayers, all things the disciples of Christ will do. But all of that is what faith does. That is the godliness that results from furthering our faith and our knowledge of the truth. And yes, God can and does use those things to grow our faith even more. But if faith is simply receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation, and if faith comes by hearing the word of God, then the primary way God grows our faith is through the preaching of his word. And as we've discussed in past sermons, God uses baptism and the Lord's Supper to seal and confirm his promises to our hearts. This is why gathering in the local church is essential if we are to grow in our faith. Because only, only in the simplicity and the foolishness of this moment, we do nothing and God does everything. Only in this moment do we simply receive and rest and hear. Everything else we do is discipleship because we do it. But in this moment, in this space, we just receive. Now, this can um, <clears throat> sound very convenient and self-indulgent uh, when I, as the primary preacher of God's word, am the one saying it but I've been commanded to say it. So I want us to listen to the testimony of our catechisms and our confessions on this point. This is what our churches have always taught. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 65. It is through faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. Two questions later. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, on the cross, wait, on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes! In the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us and by the holy sacraments confirms that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. The canons of Dort 
And just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the proclamation of the gospel, so God preserves, continues, and completes this work by the hearing and reading of the gospel, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, threats, and promises, and also by the use of the sacraments. One more, the Belgic Confession. We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. God has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses both what God enables us to understand by the word and what he does inwardly in our hearts, confirming in us the salvation he imparts to us. We grow in our faith. We receive and rest more and more in the finished work of Christ and enjoy all the benefits of salvation more and more by hearing the gospel proclaimed and by seeing and participating in the sacraments. What happens here on Sunday morning is the gathering of God's temple where his fiery presence dwells. We gather to glorify him, to proclaim the gospel, and to grow in our faith. And yes, we leave this place to glorify him in our everyday lives by abstaining from sinful desires and living good lives in front of unbelievers. We leave here to proclaim the gospel to our children, our friends, our family, our neighbors. And yes, we continue to grow in our faith as we give ourselves to personal Bible reading and prayer and Bible studies and gyms and cadets and devotions with the family. But all of that is what faith does. And all of that is stacking up logs and kindling of knowledge so that when we come together here in God's fiery presence, he uses that knowledge to stoke and build the fires of faith. When we come to this place, we grow together in what faith is. This is the primary place where God opens our mind and our hearts to receive and rest in Christ alone more and more. And as we further our faith and grow in our knowledge of the truth, that is what leads to godliness. This is why Reformed churches tend to only have a small little bit of personal application in sermons. Uh, sometimes there's more if the text is about that. But the reality is all of us want to know how to be better moms and dads, how to be better husbands, how to be better wives, better students. We all want to know how to be less anxious, how to eat better, how to be less angry, how to be more diligent and self-controlled with our emotions and our eating or our finances. I could go on and on, right? We all want to know those things. And so that's why we want to go to a church where they give us lots of personal application and tell us how we can do all those things. But let's think about it. Finances are easy. Spend less money and save more. We all actually know how to be less angry. If you're yelling inside your house and the pastor knocks on the door, you immediately stop yelling. Which means we knew all along how to do it. We just didn't have the faith to believe that it was worth it for God's sake. We believed it was worth it for the pastor's sake. But God, who is always present, we did not believe in that moment that it was worth it for his sake not to yell. For most people, being less anxious is as simple as trusting God more 
that he is good and that he's in control. If we want to eat better and exercise, eat less sugar, more fruits and vegetables, set aside time to exercise. You see, we already know how to do it. If you want to be a better parent, spend quality time with your children. Teach them with patience. Be more kind to them and discipline them consistently and firmly with love and gentleness. I actually believe you already know how to read your Bible and pray more. All we have to do is set aside time. Watch one less TV show, get up earlier. And then ask an older, more mature Christian how they organize their time. The only reason we don't is because we don't really believe that we need to. Our culture spends millions of dollars on books to help us learn how to do these things when we already know how to do them. The problem is not that we don't know what we should do to be more godly. The problem is we don't have enough faith or knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. I'm not saying we don't have saving faith. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. I'm saying we don't have enough faith to receive and rest in the fact that God is as holy as he is, as sovereign as he is, as present as he is, as good as he is, as just as he is. We don't have enough faith to believe and knowledge to believe that sin is as evil and miserable as it is and that obedience is as sweet as it is. And when we grow in our faith and knowledge of those truths, we will believe them more, and that leads to godliness. If we believed and knew more about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin, we would never joke about it, we would never laugh about it, we would never think it's cute, and we would not want to watch people portrayed on TV. If we believed and knew more about the wonder and the beauty of eternal life and the glories of heaven, we would spend all of our time thinking about it and planning for it, just like we do when we're thinking about and planning to go on a vacation. If we really believed and knew how much God loves us, we would stop at nothing to kill our sin and bask in the love of God. So Paul writes to Titus to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Because it's resting more in the work of Christ and trusting more that all his promises are ours. And then growing in our knowledge of the work of Christ and the reality of those promises, that's what leads to godliness. That's what enables us to believe that living how we know we should believe is really better. Doing more things doesn't lead to godliness. Having more faith and knowledge of the truth is what leads to godliness, according to Paul. It's one thing to believe that Jesus died to save me from my sins, but we have to grow in our faith to believe that knowing him is better than indulging our sin. And that comes by continuing to hear the gospel and gaining more and more knowledge about God and Christ. And God promises to do that here every Sunday. And when we grow in our faith, And the knowledge that supports our faith, that is when we begin to put into practice the things we already know how to do, but don't yet have enough faith to live that way. The more I understand about the love of God and the greatness of God, and the more his goodness and mercy fills my heart in truth day in and day out, the more I will get sick of my sin 
I will hate it and I will do whatever it takes to walk away from it. I was listening to a sermon one time from a pastor and he said, uh, people see a guy who reads his Bible every day and they think, that's a disciplined man. He says, I assure you, that is not a disciplined man. That is a desperate man. That is a desperate man. Because God has given him the faith to see how weak and sinful he really is, how terrible sin really is, how holy God really is, and yet how kind and patient God really is too. And he is desperate to bury his heart in those realities every single day because he knows how weak and forgetful he is. This is why I am confident that I was a Christian at five years old. Because I had true faith. I was receiving and resting on Christ alone for my salvation. But I had no knowledge. I had no knowledge at all. I didn't have parents who were able to give me knowledge because they didn't have it themselves. We didn't go to church consistently. I didn't have a church community. When we did go to church, we went to to Big Valley, which basically we just rolled in, heard a sermon, and left. We didn't know anybody there. And so when I got to 14 years old and I started to drift or to, to live a life that was so obviously not a life that God would have for me, it's not that I was getting worse. It's just that I was now an adult, facing adult temptations, doing exactly what the kind of person I was like at that time had the faith to do. I, I didn't believe God was good. I remember specifically when I was offered that purity ring, I remember specifically thinking like, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you that following you and living how you say I should live is really the best thing for me. And honestly, that's what we all do when we sin. We say, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust your ways are right for me. I trust this thing to be my ever-present help in time of need. And the thing is, is we all are asking ourselves, well, how can I grow in my faith? Because we want to live a godly life. And so, and so what we need to be asking ourselves, right? So when we're sitting there and we're like, oh man, if I just knew how to obey, we think, we think like, oh man, I just don't know how to do it. That's my problem. I don't know how to do it. And I, I believe that Jesus died for me and I just need to figure out how to do these things. And it's like, no, 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 you know exactly how to do those things. And so, so what we need, really need to do is just confess to the Lord, God, I... I realize, God, my problem is not that I don't know how to do these things. And this cuts deeper, right? This cuts way deep. But to just say to God, God, I don't believe. I don't believe. And now we get to come before the Lord in truth, humbled, desperate, and in need. Oh, and Christian, that's where the gospel is so sweet. That's where we're all on a level playing field here, no matter how mature we are or whether we just professed our faith. Because that's all of us every day. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we're so grateful for this place. We're so grateful for each other. We're so thankful that you have made a way for weak sinners like us to just receive and rest and hear so that we might grow. So that we can have more of what faith is. 
so that for your glory, we can do more of what faith does. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.